John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you want to turn there or click there or I'll have um, the uh, passages up on the screen as well, you can do that. I did not write down the page number from the pew, so if anybody knows what that is and you want to say it, uh, that'll help. Um, but we're going to be looking at uh, the, this longer story that's happening here in John 6. We've been in the middle of a series. We're actually sort of wrapping it up today. It's going to continue in a different fashion starting next week, but this first part of Discipleship 101. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? There's a lot of people that can say, well, I'm a Christian, but is what they're thinking and what Jesus is describing the same thing? Because we need to get on the same page with Jesus, not our ideas. Uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be one of his disciples? And so that's what this last few weeks have been, is really clarifying that and leaning into that and um, being able to say, oh, this is what Jesus is calling us to. This is what this looks like. This is what this is not. And making sure our lives are in line with that reality. So we're going to finish this up today in this story in John 6. And before we do, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the fact that you are here. Uh, that thank you, God, for those uh, who are watching from home, that you're present with them, that we can come together as just one body of people who love you, who worship you, uh, want to be encouraged from you, want to hear from you. And I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that spirit, you would say exactly the things that we need to hear. Uh, I pray that you would give us the courage to then respond. And so make your, real, your word real to us. Um, let us hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Excuse me. All right, so we're going to talk about hunger this morning. Uh, we've been talking about discipleship for a few weeks, and hey, disciples got to eat, right? Um, we have to realize the thing about hung physical hunger, and that is the reality that it never ends. You can manage it, you can appease it, you can satisfy it, but you never actually conquer it. It's always going to come back. You go long enough or through an intense enough activity, and it lets you know that it's there, that hunger is wanting. It needs to be satisfied. And again, we can't satisfy it on our own. It's something that we need something else. Food is what satisfies hunger. Now, I'm not bringing this up to get you thinking or already and distract you thinking about lunch that will come. And we have a lot of donuts back there today to help appease that physical hunger. Today, we want to talk about the reality of soul hunger, the fact that your soul hungers as well. Our souls have a deep hunger that needs to be filled, that needs to be satisfied, that needs to be appeased. The daily grind doesn't make our souls hungry, but it shows that the hunger is there and that it's wanting. Some might not realize, some might not want to admit it, but your, whole, your soul has desire, has hunger. And the story that we're, about Jesus that we're going to look at today is about a group of hungry people. They, they're not physically hungry, they're spiritually hungry, hungry. They just had a huge meal, but they don't realize that they're still hungry. And so the backstory of what we're going to look at today comes out of John 6, starting in verse 22. It says, At the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, and that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats 
and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different towns mentioned here. And if you were to look at a map of Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee. And this is all happening on the northern region of it. And so they start over on the west side where Tiberius is at. And they're realizing Jesus has gone across the other way to Capernaum. And so they go to the other side. And I'm, I'm pointing out the different towns and describing this. because I just want you to know, this is like sort of my notes, but I feel like this is a good opportunity to let you know. Uh, slight commercial here. Um, church is actually uh, planning to do a trip to Israel next May. And so we're going to have all the information out to you, if not this next Sunday, the follow- in the next two weeks of Zoom meetings and explanations and everything. But it's going to be the May- in May over the weekend of Memorial Day weekend. So leaving the Sunday before Memorial Day weekend and then coming back the Wednesday after. So just put that in your head to get you excited about it, because then you could actually walk and go from Tiberias across the sea and see Capernaum with me, and that'll be super cool. So you should all come. All right, so that just so you know that that's coming. But the story that we're looking at, uh, this that's being described here, talks about uh, comes after the day that Jesus miraculously fed over 10,000 people. Now, I say over 10,000 people, even though the text says 5,000, because that was all the men. If we count in the idea of the women and the children, a lot of scholars say it could even be up as four times as much. So I'm just saying over 10,000 to be conservatively small, it probably was even more than that. And Jesus miraculously fed this many people. I say miraculously because none of those people had a lunch. Over 10,000 people, and none of them thought to bring food, none of them brought to bring anything to eat, nobody thought to bring a snack, just one kid brought his lunch, probably a homeschool kid, and he was kidding, I'm just kidding, that was a joke, just kidding, and they brought, brought the lunch, and Jesus took that one meal and was able to multiply it and feed over 10,000 people. I would definitely say that that's miraculous. It's important for today because it shows how they already have food on the brain. That's an unforgettable meal. If you don't have food, and you know that no one else around you has food, and it's pretty clear based on what everyone is saying that no one has food, and then a lot of food comes out of nowhere, that's an experience you don't forget. And so they have food on the brain. This food was such a good, and you've had that experience, not where somebody miraculously brought food, but you've had that meal that was so good, that was so amazing, that you talked about it for, oh, you got to hear about this, you got to try this. Well, this was even beyond that, because this isn't just about the restaurant, this is about the fact that there was nothing, and then there was, and it was mind-blowing. And to the midst of this foodie context, with food on the brain and miracles happening, Jesus starts teaching them. And the first thing that he's going to talk about is this fact, is that spiritual junk food does not make you a disciple. Spiritual junk food does not make you a disciple. It says in verse 25, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. When the Son of Man will give to you, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus is calling them out here in these these two these couple of verses on two different things: on their motives and on their diet. In regard to their motives, they were they were having an amazing adventure in missing the point right now. 
They do not realize how Jesus is showing them that he is the Messiah that they've been looking for and longing for. He is, they do not get the clue about how what they've just experienced connects back to their history and their story and the Old Testament scriptures. Exodus 16.4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven to you. Psalm 78, And he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food and abundance. They've had nothing, and miraculously God provides. This is not the first time that's happened in their story. They see a kid's happy meal turned into a 10,000-plus person buffet dinner, and they don't even think that this is God. This is the Messiah. No, they think, well, what else can he do? How else can he fill my belly? They didn't come looking for a Messiah. They didn't come looking for a Lord. They didn't come looking for a king. They came looking for a magician. Many of us come to Jesus in the same way. We come to him not for who he is, but what we can get for him. We don't see him as a Lord. We see him as a vending machine. Hey, Jesus, I'm looking for happiness, inner peace, a forever friend, principles on how to live, a better family, help through the rough patches. Jesus says, I am your, not your blessing dispenser. I am not at your beck and call. They just wanted the benefits, and, but Jesus wants their commitment. They wanted him to do a trick, give them stuff. Jesus wanted them to surrender. Following Jesus isn't about what I can get out of him. It's about who he is and what he's done for us. Their motives were off on this. Their diet was off on this as well. Jesus calls them out for putting a lot of work into garbage food. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. It would be like having a really unhealthy food at the end of a really difficult obstacle course. I mean, think about having to do like an intense, hardcore obstacle course, not just like one of the little inflatable things, but like one where it's intense, and they tell you, hey, there's a prize for you at the end, and it's going to be amazing, and when you get down there, it's a Snickers bar. I mean, sure, in that moment, that's going to be good, that's going to be appeasing, but I just went through all of this. I just did all this work. I just sweated and strained myself and did everything. And you think the equivalent prize is a candy bar? That's off. That's robbing me. That's not this. The prize does not meet the effort. It takes a lot of work to get there, and it's just not worth it. And the reality is, is that the food that they were, would go after that would appease their, they thought would appease their soul's hunger. It's the same thing. They're going through a lot of work. They're going through a lot of effort on this world within our culture, trying to get, trying to earn, trying to do things. But at the end of the day, it's just like candy. Yeah, it's good in a moment. Yeah, it tastes good in a second. But it doesn't sustain. It doesn't give health. It doesn't do what our body needs. In the same way, the things that we go after in life, the things that we fight after, the things that we long for, the things that we put all of our effort into, it might be good momentarily, but it doesn't feed the hunger of our soul. It doesn't give us what our souls need. Our souls are hungry, and how often do we try to feed it with the wrong things? 
Fallen humanity is programmed to do hard work, to expand energy, to plan, and to sacrifice for food that's temporary, limited in power, and cannot keep us alive forever. Food that spoils is any kind of earthly resource that we can obtain on our own. These crowds were chasing the miracle man, the food machine king, the next big sensation, the latest eye thing or whatever, the bigger house, the fastest car, the bigger bank account, all earthly, all temporary, all momentarily fun, but all bringing headaches and heartaches and all staying here and not going with you after you die. Their pursuit was junk food. And the amount of work they were going into it and longing for it was embarrassing. We have to ask ourselves, what is our junk food? What is the things of this earth that you put effort into and you put meaning and you put you strive after that you see as the value that you need for your soul? I need this for my soul. I need this for who I am. I need this to appease what's happening in here. And it can't. It can't do that. Can't give your soul what it needs. That hunger will remain. That longer longing will remain. That is junk food. And it can't do for you what your soul is hungry for. Spiritual junk food does not make you a disciple. The next thing that Jesus is going to point to is this is that God provides and invites you to a never-ending feast of true life. Excuse me. God provides and invites you to a never-ending feast of true life. Listen to what verse 27 says. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. They, then they said to him, What must we do? to be doing the works of God. Think about the best meal you've ever had. I mean, you've been with a group of friends and you start talking about pizza or you start talking about Mexican or you start talking about that four-star restaurant or maybe that one-star greasy spoon or whatever it is, but you're like, oh, have you ever been here? And we have those meals. We have those places. Here's the thing. is I don't care how good the meal was. I don't care how much you spent on it. I don't care how satisfying it was. I don't care how the memories are. Every meal that you and I are thinking to ends in the exact same place. It all goes to the same place. Can you put that picture up? It didn't stay with you. It didn't keep nourishing you. It didn't continue. It perished. Jesus says to go for the food that isn't temporary, that doesn't just do a little bit of work, that doesn't just sustain you for a little bit of work, a little bit of time, that isn't just with you for a little bit of time. Go for the food that, to where you're never going to have those hunger pains, where you're never going to have that longing. And again, this is a conversation where Jesus is talking about food, but he's talking about something deeper than food. Eat it now, and it fills and sustains you, but it never stops doing that. Where can I? They hear that, and they say, where can I get food like that? Where can I get the, the God food, the God feast? How do, I get, how do I go to that? And they're thinking the obstacle course, the effort, the work. What effort do I need to do 
to get the food that you're talking about, Jesus. It says in verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see you, see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They... They know about the passage about the bread coming from God. They know about God and the miraculous, and they're not connecting the two. That where do, What sign can you give us miraculously by giving us food that we would know that you're the one? I, can, I cannot imagine the amazing, and I'm saying this as a parent. I'm saying this as a parent of two teenagers. I cannot imagine Jesus' patience in this moment. How he was able to keep it together when they asked, well, what sign could you give us that involves food that we would know that you were the Messiah? I mean, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, did you remember the whole thing with the kids' lunch? I just gave you the sign. You just saw it. But they're completely oblivious and they're missing the point. He says in verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but the Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. It isn't the sign that you're looking for. It isn't what you're thinking. It's God who gives you bread. And he is offering it to you. He is offering you a life feast. He is, the table is set and everyone is invited. You are invited to the feast that God has prepared. You don't do anything. In the same way that Jesus told them, he's telling us, this is not your work. This isn't what you do. I know that when we go over to people's houses and stuff, then we go into the kitchen like, hey, is there anything I can do? And no, 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 I got this. Sometimes like if it's crazy, oh yeah, yeah, can you do this? Hey, God, is there anything I can do with this whole hunger of my soul thing or like my life or my future or eternity? No, 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 no. You can't do anything. God says, I have it all prepared. I have it all taken care of. This is all my work. You don't need to get cleaned up. You don't need to put, lift a finger. You don't do anything. You just come and believe. There is no food for you. There is food through Jesus, available for you that will fill your soul. No person can provide this meal. Not Moses, not your friend, not your spouse, not your boss, not your pastor, not your uh, neighbor. No one on this earth can provide this food. Only Jesus. No earthly thing can provide this meal. This is a meal for your soul that only God can provide. And you are invited. God provides and invites you to a never-ending feast of true life. And it's the reality of what Jesus' life was all about. That he would come, that he would walk amongst us, that he would be human, that he would live a perfect life and eventually go to the cross. And people put him up on this cross because he was doing his own thing and he wasn't going with what they wanted and he knew the truth of the reality of God's plans for him. And he went to the cross so that our sins could be put on him. Because the Bible talks about the fact that their sins has consequences. 
uh, that sin has consequences that have to be paid for, and the consequences of sin is death. And so rather than us paying for that, Jesus paid for that. He went to the cross so that our sins could be paid for, so the things that we do wrong could be taken care of. But not only did he do that, but he wanted us to be able to be made right with God. He wanted us to have the thing, because our sin breaks that relationship with God, it destroys that, it messes it up, causes the brokenness that we see in our lives, in our friends' and family's lives, our city and our world. Sin causes the brokenness. And as much as we try to appease it, as much as we try to fix it, we usually just end up making it worse. And so what Jesus did is he took all of that upon himself so that our sins could be forgiven. But then he said, I'm going to put my righteousness. I'm going to make, put what makes me, me on and into you so that you can have new life, so that you can have a new identity, so that you can come back home to God, so that you can have new life with a new hope and joy and peace, so that your whole hunger, the hunger of your soul, can be satisfied. Jesus says, this is the meal that I've made possible. This is the meal I've provided. But you have to believe. You have to believe. God has provided and invites you to a never-ending feast of true life. And so he says, believe and eat. Stop grumbling and come to the feast. Believe and eat. Stop grumbling and come to the feast. It says in verse 35, Jesus said to him, I said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, again, remember, Jesus is talking about food and thirst and hunger and thirst, but not talking about food and drink. He's talking about what's going on inside of us. Physical hunger never ends, and it's, it, but then that illustrates our spiritual hunger. It keeps going on its own. We can re- work to appease it, but we can't appease it. But Jesus can appease our soul's hunger. No more feeling hunger pains of shame and guilt because of our sin. No more feeling hunger pains of loneliness because of separation from God. No more feeling hunger pains of hopelessness or lack of purpose. Jesus says, I am the food that will end your soul's hunger. Jesus knows their arguments to this before they even raise them. He says in verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and who, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and all and whomever comes to me, I will never cast out. You come to this table, and I'm never going to kick you out of this table. Verse forty. And this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And even though he offers them the food that their heart craves, even though he answers questions that they didn't know that they needed to ask, even though he explains to them, the thing that you're longing for, I'm going to give to you. So the Jews grumbled about him. After everything he's talking about, after everything he's provided, after everything he's offering to them, after everything he's inviting them into, they grumbled about him. Under their breath, complaining, teach clenched. How can it be? How could somebody, isn't that weird to argue about that and to complain about that and grumble about that? Why would somebody grumble about everything that Jesus is offering them? Because we don't want it to be his way. 
We want it to be our way. We don't want it to be God's way. We want to be the one who makes the food. We want to be the one that does the work. We don't want, the, we don't want to give the commitment. We want the trick. We don't want the Lord. We want the magician. We don't want the relationship. We just want the benefits. Verse 43, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Stop complaining. It's not going to be your way. That's not how it works, because the thing that none of us want to admit is that our way fails every time. Everything we do to appease the hunger of our soul never appeases the hunger of our soul. Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your father ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Think, think about doing that big obstacle course, doing that, all that work, all that effort for nothing, or for nothing that's really worth of anything. Jesus says, I have made it possible for your hunger to end. I stopped the price for your hunger on the cross. So stop thinking that obstacle course is going to work. Stop thinking that your effort is going to work, the things that you do is going to work, that the excuses for the junk food, stop making those excuses. Stop feeding on the perishable food. Stop working so hard for stuff that doesn't satisfy you. Think about the life feast that Jesus has made possible and that he invites to you. He says, come to my table. I'm inviting you just as you are. Come to my table. Step away from things that don't satisfy, and come to life. Come to my table. Forget the obstacle course. Be done with it. Come to my table. Believe in me. Trust me. Have de Depend on me. Come to my table. I am the food that will make you never hunger again. And so you have to ask yourself, are you ready to respond to Jesus' invitation? Can, are you ready to receive the life feast that Jesus has for you? Or are you going to grumble and walk away? Do, do you realize how hungry your soul is? Maybe you're like the crowd, not realizing how hungry you are. Well, hey, I have this stuff, and I have this job, and I have all of these things. Why would I need what Jesus has? I have all of this, because that's all temporary. And it's all really good stuff that doesn't do the thing that Jesus is talking about. And even within all of that, you don't have everything that you need. In fact, you don't have the most important thing that you need. The only thing that can fulfill your soul's hunger. Do you, do you need a reminder of the amazing life feast that God has provided? Maybe you're in here and you, you began following Jesus Years ago, a long time ago, but just through the difficulties of life, the strains of the back and forth, the mundane reality of the day in and day out, you forget just you've forgotten just how amazing his grace is. And just how amazing his forgiveness is. 
and the fact that he wants you to be a part of what he's doing. That what he has for you is greater than anything else that you see that tempts you to come and abandon him. Maybe you needed that reminder today. That you've been looking at the obstacle course, wondering if something is worth working for. In reality, Jesus is saying, what is wrong with you? I've given you everything. He tells us to come back to our first love. We need to remember the reality of how much Jesus has loved us and come back to that with him. What do you need to do today in light of what you've heard? Are you going to stay with Jesus or are you going to go? Listen to this last part of the story. When many of his disciples heard what he said, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Because that's the reality. To follow Jesus is a hard thing. It is a difficult thing. We, we talk about easy and accessible and just do it. No, following Jesus isn't easy. But it is amazing. And just, if, and just so it's clear, there isn't anything in this world that's easy. Not, nothing that's worth anything is easy. We, you always have to work hard. You always have to put out effort. You always have to. But the reality is, is that Jesus has done all of the work for us. To enter that relationship is easy. But what he's calling us to, the commitment that he has, it isn't necessarily easy. But it's worth it. And it's amazing. And it's better than anything else. And so when they say this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? It is a hard saying. And the ones that can listen to it are the ones that realize we all need that. Verse 61, But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And then verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Are you going to stay or are you going to go? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you want to go away? Or do you want to stay with Jesus? If you're in here today and you've never began life with him, stay with Jesus. Come to him and stay with Jesus. It isn't about doing anything. It's not being a better person. It's not trying harder. It's not what your parents believed. It's acknowledging I need him. And I need him because I can't do what needs to be done for my heart and for what my soul longs for. I can't take care of my sin. I can't take care of the brokenness. I can't make the life that my heart longs for. But Jesus takes care of the sin. He heals the brokenness and he gives me purpose. I want what he provides and what he invites me to. Jesus, be Lord of my life, meaning he's over everything and he guides us. 
Let today be the day that you say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. And if you've already done that, whenever we go through this, I mean, this is the first time we've done Discipleship 101, but this isn't the first time where we've had a series about what is a disciple. And the reason why we revisit this every couple of years is that, one, we want to make sure that people understand what a disciple is, but for those who follow him, we need to be reminded because we are forgetful, distracted people. And we need to have our minds refocused. We need our hearts recalibrated. We need to be reminded of who we are and how who we are guides everything that we do. And so stay with Jesus. Because to go, the, you need to have Peter's attitude. What did he say? Where are we going to go? You're the one that gives life. Which the flip side is, well, if I go, I'm not going to find life. With him is where the life is. Where him is where it's at. Please don't go. Please don't go. Come to him and stay with him. Let today be the day that your life with him begins. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you pursue us, for the fact that you've died for us on the cross, that you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, for this life that God that you offer us, the table that you set. God, forgive us for the ways that we get distracted. Forgive us for the things that we grumble about. God, I pray that you would let us see how amazing this life is with you. If anyone in here, God, needs to begin following you today, let today be the day of courage. Let today be the day of decision. God, I pray that you would kill any thoughts of procrastination in their minds and hearts and they would see their need for you and follow you. God, for those of us who say that we follow you, God, I pray that our lives would match the reality of our hearts, that you would get us in line, that we would ask forgiveness for sins, that we would, get our, we would surrender every aspect of our life, not just a part of it, that we would come and fall back in love with you, God, and who you are. It's in your name we pray, amen. You know, if you're in here today, if you stand with us, we're going to close with this last song. While this song is going,